You know, the day after Christmas, uh, a strange phenomenon occurs. Uh, I don't know if you've been around much, especially if you go the day after Christmas to maybe a shopping mall or a strip mall or to a store. But what you see is, if you happen to be about, that people are busy returning and exchanging their gifts from Christmas, right? So in the Christmas morning, they got all these gifts, and then the day after Christmas, they're excited about going to the store and exchanging them and uh, giving them back. And you know, it's interesting how we respond differently to gifts. Sometimes we'll get a gift and uh, we'll immediately see, we'll get it and we'll pretend like we're excited about it. And then in our mind, we're already concocting a plan to go and return it so that we can get the money and go get what we really want. Or we'll get a gift and we'll think to ourselves, man, I don't really need this, but this is a, a great regifting gift, right? So you'll get it and you're like, I know someone else that really wants this or someone that really doesn't want it, but I've got to give that person a gift anyway. So this gift will be a good gift for them. Or maybe we just get a gift and we look at it and we're like, ah, oh, that's great, but we set it aside as though it has no value to us whatsoever. And maybe we come to a time of being disappointed because we wanted something else completely. You know, the, in the movie, The Grinch That Stole Christmas, or the book, The Grinch That Stole Christmas, we see the Grinch says that Christmas is not about the gifts. And you know what? I have to agree with him. In some ways. You see, Christmas is not about the gifts, but I believe that Christmas is all about the gift that was given. You see, in the gift that was given, we see God, the God of the universe, taking on flesh and dwelling among us so that through him we might be saved. So he lives the life that we couldn't and dies the death that we deserve. See, that's amazing. One of the things we like to do in my family is we try to outgive each other. We try to show our love and appreciation by outgiving. And so we hold back the special gifts on Christmas morning and we, we wait to the very end to give them. And this year I received a very special gift. You see, my wife had taken a lot of time and care to take our daughters and to have a, a special photo shoot with them. And she took her wedding dress and placed it on our daughters and, and then had them wear it and, and took pictures of our children as a way to remind them of, of, of that their heart belongs to their dad, but also as an opportunity for us to post this in our, our home as a way of showing them that there's something better that they are to hold out for the heart that God has for them. And so that was one of those special gifts where I received it and with joy and with, with overwhelmingness and just a, a blessed stewardship of being a parent was amazing. But you know, that gift does not compare to the gift of God through Jesus Christ. You see, we live a life, when we're born, we live a life not wanting to know God, not wanting to receive the gift of him, but God pursues us. God has this gift. He's made a way so that we sinful people can be reconciled back to a holy God. And he says, I'm gonna give you the best gift that I can possibly give. I'm gonna give you myself. And so at Christmas time, we remember this great gift that we didn't want, that we didn't deserve, but God gave that came from a place of love for us and a love for his great name. See, this morning, I want us to ponder just for a moment the gift of Christ. And I want to challenge us to look at the ways that we respond to this gift of Jesus. You see, there are many different ways that we can respond to this gift. Some people in the world see this gift and they want to just deny the gift. Some people want to take the gift and they want to have it for a moment and then they want to exchange it for something else. 
And this morning I want to draw us attention to the second chapter of Matthew and see specifically three distinct ways that people respond to the gift of Christ. So would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. If you've got a Bible that we've provided, it's on page 687. Matthew chapter 2 on page 687. I'm going to read the first 16 verses of chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then, Then Herod heard, Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what the time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. For when we have found him, bring, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that had been seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take your child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. And remained there until the death of Herod. This was so to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in, the, and in all the region where they were two years old or under. According to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this word. Father, we thank you also that you have given us the gift of Jesus Christ. And I pray today, Lord, as we take a look at this word, I pray that your spirit would be working in our minds and in our hearts to draw us into a deeper loving relationship with you. Help us maybe to see for the very first time that you love us, even though we have denied you and we have despised you and we have sinned against you, Father. We see in your word that you love us. So, Father, today, may your word breathe words of life to us, words of encouragement to help us continue to follow after you in complete and total surrender and complete and total obedience. But, Father, in these next few minutes, as we come under the teaching of your word, help our ears to hear and our eyes to see. Allow our spirit to be moved closer towards you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So this morning, I want us to look at three ways that we can respond to the gift of Jesus Christ. The first way, we can look at just Herod the Great, or Herod the King. And we can see that his response to this great gift of God through Jesus Christ, his response was to fight against God. Herod's had this horrendous reaction. You see, Herod himself, we know from last week, was the illegitimate king of Israel. You see, he was appointed king of Judea by Rome. It wasn't because he was appointed there by God, but he was appointed there by Rome. And we know that he himself wasn't even fully Jewish. He was only Jewish because he married a Jewish woman. And he did so just so that he could earn the respect of the people. We also see that his wife was not from the line of Jacob, but we know that she is from the line of Esau. And seeing this man stand before the people of God in, in a hopes of trying to unite God's people so that they could follow and submit to Rome, we see that the people of God saw this king and they despised him. But he was a man on a mission. He was a man with a great temper, and he had a huge desire for personal fame. And when he heard about this Messiah, when these magi came from the east and spoke to him and said, Behold, we want to find this one who's been born king of the Jews, we can see that his response was a response of hatred. See in verse 3 when it says, when King Herod heard this, it says he was troubled. Now, I believe the ESV and other translations go, are so light in their translation of this word troubled. It doesn't just mean that he shook or had a shiver go down his spine. It means that he was so troubled that he was, it was from the, the bowels of his being, he was so rocked and so shaken because he saw this person, this legitimate king of the Jews as a complete and total threat. So from every ounce of his being, he was shaken and he was enraged. You see, he saw the Messiah as one that was going to take away his power. He saw the Messiah as the one that was going to take away his position. He saw the Messiah as one that was going to take away his pride. And with his heart and with his being and with his actions, he didn't want this Messiah to take control. So he exerted his great influence and went to extreme measures to absolutely eradicate the threat of Christ. We can see this. that By the end, what he has done is he has ordered all children in the whole kingdom, in the whole area, those that were two and under to be killed. Like imagine that for a moment. Like allow that. We hear this over and over again. But imagine that. The herosity of that. The ferociousness of it. The evilness of that. Just the weight of that to rest. This was a man that hated God. This is a man that loved himself more than he loved anything else. You know, in our world today, we probably won't find that many people that are that overt in their desire to destroy the person of Christ. Now, sure, there are some extreme examples of of people in our world today that want to kill Christ like that. But for the most part, we encounter people every single day that are much more subtle than this. You see, they hear the truth of God. 
They hear the truths of Scripture and they find it offensive. Or maybe they look at the authority that God has over their lives and they deny that authority. The one that makes the sun rise and the sun set. The one that makes the wind blow from the east to the west or the west to the east. The one that makes the rain fall from the sky. They look at that and they see and they deny the authority of the creator God over their lives. They believe that truth comes from within them. They believe that what they deem best for their lives is what is true. And there's no other authority, there's no other rule, there's no other voice louder in their lives than the voice that comes from within. So whatever is good for me, whatever is best for me, is what I should do. There's no one out there that should be able to tell me any different. And the reality is, many people live their lives apart from Christ, making decisions on their own, making their lives on their own, building up their own kingdoms, their own wealth, their own lifestyle. The book of Romans tells us exactly what this looks like. Romans chapter 1, verse 25, Paul writes this, he says, they, referring to those people that are in this process of fighting against God or distancing themselves from God, what he says this is they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the the creature rather than the creator. There's an exchange that takes place when we know our hearts are fighting against God. We no longer see him as valuable. We no longer see him as worthy. And we turn our eyes and attention from him to the things which he has created. And we worship them instead of him. Or maybe they even worship themselves rather than God. Do you know people like this in your life? Do you know people, in? because God placed people in your paths of life that are like this, where they have no desire for God, where they would rather worship themselves, where they'd rather build their lives around themselves other than God? How are we supposed to interact with people? How are we as believers in Jesus Christ, those that have already accepted this great gift of God, how do we interact with those that fight against God? I think there are a couple of things we can do. The first thing that we need to do is we need to begin not to see them as the enemy. Those that hate God, those that don't know God, what we need to not do is see them as the enemy. They are not the enemy because Christ has died for them and desires that they come to a knowledge of him. So don't see them as enemy. Do not treat them as the enemy. But instead, see them in their sinful state. See them in their lost state and pray for them. Pray for them. Are our hearts broken over those God has placed in our paths, in our lives, that have a heart and a disposition against God? See them not as enemy. We pray for them. And we beg God to open their eyes so that they can see the error of their ways. 
You and I cannot open their eyes. We cannot make the blind see. We cannot make the dead come to life. But Jesus Christ himself can. We can see that through scripture. We see that through the gospels. As Jesus comes on the scene, lives a life, what is he constantly doing? He's making the lame walk. He's making the blind see. He's bringing the death back to life. We see the power of this great Christ. And he, if he did it then, he can do it today. And we need to go on behalf of our brothers and sisters, our friends, our neighbors, our loved ones. And we need to go and ask God to open their eyes so that they can see. So we see him not as enemy. We pray for them. We ask God to open their eyes. And then we love them. Like, we love those, those enemies of God. We love them. We draw close to them. We bring them close to our lives, and we love on them. We're close to their lives, and they're close to our lives. So that when God begins to open their eyes, when God begins to peel back the scales that have been placed on their eyes, what we do is we're able to be there for them. See, if we are praying for them and we're asking God to open their eyes, you know what God's going to do? He's going to bring about circumstances in their lives that he's going to show them that their worldview is broken. He's going to show them that the path that they're on doesn't work. And then we need to be there if we've loved them, if we prayed for them, if we see them not as the enemy, and we walk close to them. Then when their life is broken, when things hurt, guess who they're going to turn to? They're going to turn to us and they're going to say, my life is broken. And guess what we're going to be able to do? At that moment, we're going to be able to extend to them the gift of Jesus Christ. And we're going to be able to say that this Jesus, the one that has loved you, the one that has died your death and paid your penalty, you trust in him and he will give you life. He will heal your broken hearts. That's good stuff, right? It's good to know that God has placed us in the position of being of givers of this great gift. May we take more and more of those opportunities. So the first response we see to the gift of Christ is we see that it can be a fight against God. The second thing we can look at, the second response to this gift of God, we can look to the chief priests and the scribes and we can see that their response was to forget about God. Look at me in verses 4 through 6. As Herod comes to them, or as the Magi comes to Herod, Herod wants to know, where, where is he going to be born? And so what does he do in verse 4? He assembles the chief priests and the scribes of the people, and he inquires of them where the Christ was to be born. You see, these chief priests and these scribes were the religious. We learned about them a little bit last week, too. That they no longer were people that were directly from the line of Levi. They were no longer all from that. But they, these became professional scholars. They became professional people that served the people of God. But in essence, in their process of serving God, they served themselves. This had become a profession for them. Not a relationship, but they studied the word of God so they could teach the word of God. They knew the ins and outs of the law. But even though their knowledge of the law, we see that it did not change their hearts. They had studied and they had waited. But the Old Testament to them had become nothing more than a fable. Had nothing become, become nothing more than a tale. There wasn't truth in it. There wasn't life in it. it was, there was not a change of heart in it. 
there was just knowledge in it. Look how easily the answer rolled off their tongue. It's almost as though these, these scribes and these chief priests, as, as Herod comes to them and says, hey, where's he supposed to be born? They go and they say, verse 6, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for, you shall call, for from you shall come a ruler, and you who will shepherd my people Israel. Just so simply it flowed off their tongue, didn't flow off my tongue as quickly, but it flowed off their tongue so simple. It's almost as though they already knew the answer. So it wasn't as though they were in, in the dark, didn't, were uninformed, but they knew. And here's the cool thing about this, is that they knew so much, not only did they understand the law, but they were able to synthesize the prophecy of God. Because in verse 6, you see that's a synthesize of Micah 5 and a, a quote from Ezekiel. So what they were able to do is they were able to synthesize two separate prophets of the Old Testament into one. So they knew the answer. They knew where he was to come. And when he showed up, they missed it. see these chief priests and the scribes were so caught up in doing the religious acts that in serving God they were really serving themselves see not only did they miss it but we see if we read on further in the gospels that these chief priests and these scribes eventually became the biggest enemies of God They were the ones that took part in his death. The religious. Jesus' very own people killed him. How messed up is that? Like God tells you that he's coming. He says, I'm coming back and I'm going to send my son. And he's going to live a life for you. And he's going to be the king of the Jews. He's going to be the Messiah. So wait for him. And when he shows up, they missed it. They missed it completely. So I think the reality and the potential of this same phenomena to take place in our churches today is a real reality. See, there is potential in our churches today for people to be behind pulpits people that are behind podiums and people that are sitting in pews that have absolutely no relationship with God. They understand God, they know God, they're able to communicate God, but they have no relationship with God. Do you remember the old saying, I'm rubber, you're glue, everything you say bounces off me and sticks to you? Right, remember that one? Like we would use that in a positive way, but I'm going to turn it around and turn it into a negative way. When we make our relationship with God about a religion, our hearts are rubber. No matter what he says comes to us and bounces off of our hearts and sticks back to him. We hear the messages of God. We know the truth of God. And it's almost as though our hearts are like that rubber. It doesn't stick to us. And I want us to believe today and understand and know we need it to stick to us. We need the truths and the teachings of God and the reality of who he is to come from him and come in and stick to our hearts and transform us. You see, it's possible. It is truly possible that we allow our heads to be filled with knowledge of God and yet not have a relationship. Transferring of knowledge is a good thing, but if it doesn't lead to a changed heart, 
it is to be despised. See, this is very, 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 very dangerous. It is very possible that for those that know God, desire to know God, it is possible for even us to fall to the same path. We would forget about having a loving, dynamic relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus Christ. And we just want to know more about God so that we can pass some tests. It is easy for us to become blinded and think that we are okay when in reality the foundation of our life is very far from the truth. So how is it then do we interact with those that are like that? Maybe you're here today and you're like, I, that's me. Like I know I need to have this relationship with God, but I just, I just can't. I know everything about his word. I can open up his Bible. I can tell you, John three sixteen. I know the Ten Commandments. I know all this other stuff, but my life is not being transformed. Why is it? I'm coming to church, and yet I'm, I'm connected with a small group. I'm connected with another Bible study. I read my Bible to my children, and yet my life is not being transformed. What's the challenge? What's the problem? How am I changed? Why do how do we do that? We lovingly confront ourselves with truth. We see that that's what Jesus tried to do with the, the Pharisees and scribes throughout the rest of the Gospels. He continually brought the truth before them. And sometimes it, was, it came up at a place of a love, but it was very, very hard for them to hear. He continually tried to confront them with the truth. And, and over and over and over again, instead of making them soft, it made them hard. So if you're here today and you hear the truth of God and you're like, ah, oh my goodness, I want to know God, but I just, I just, I know him, but I want to know him. And what's the difference? This is the difference. When you're confronted with the truth, don't run from it, but allow it to seep in and say, yeah, that's me. I'm a hypocrite. I'm a liar. I'm a cheater. I am that. And then turn your eyes and say, God, save me from who I am. So if you're here, and you, you, we also know people in our lives that are living in this way where they've forgotten God. These are some things you can do. First thing is in your relationship with a person, as you've drawn close to them and you've gotten to know them, you've got to know their ins and outs, and you know them as, as a human being, but also as a believer, ask them these good questions. Like, Get them together for coffee and just ask them this question. You can first say, well, what's God teaching you? Like, that's a head question, right? A- ask, ask a question. So if, if they're in the word that God should be teaching them, what's, what's God teaching you? What are you learning about God? That's a good question. And then you'll hear the response. But then follow it up with another question. How is this what you know changing you? How is it that you're being changed? Not just that you're growing in knowledge, but how are you being changed? Or another way of putting it, how are you today more like Christ than you were last year at this time? Those are some good questions that will help your friends and and our, our fellow believers know if they're forgetting about God or if they're chasing after him. So we looked, the first response is to fight against God that we saw through Herod. The second response is to forget about God. And we saw that through the Pharisees and the scribes third thing I want us to see is the way to respond to this gift of God is to find God. I want, to see, I want us to see this through the Magi. You know, I think it's very interesting as we begin to look at the Magi. I think it's interesting that God chooses these Magi to herald Jesus Christ as King of the Jews. 
Like he chooses these magi instead of his own people to herald Jesus, this baby or this child at this time, as king of the Jews. Like why is it that God goes outside of his own people to bring someone in so that his own people can hear the message that he is the king of the Jews? Like I, I, that just blows my mind. And, I, and it's sad, it's true, but it's also sad at the same time to think that God's people were so far from him that they couldn't even hear his voice that God has to go around. So who were these Magi? Well, we know that these Magis are, Magi are probably, they're from the east, probably from the Orient area. We know that they were not kings necessarily. And we also know that they weren't there at Jesus' birth. We know that they had, had transitioned some, from some time. There was, there was distance between the time of Jesus' birth that we celebrated at, at Christmas and the time that the Magi show up. So some would say two years or so, 18 months to two years. So there's some distance between that time. We see that Jesus, and, and the word here, calls them wise. And they're wise because they were, were men that had given their lives over to learning. They wanted to learn, so they wanted to grow in knowledge. So they were, they were experts in astronomy. They were experts in astrology. They were experts in math. And we see that the knowledge that they gained changed them. And the knowledge that they gained allowed them to follow the knowledge that they knew. You see, these particular magi had copies of the Old Testament. It's, it's, I don't know how exactly they got it. It's potentially that these magi got the uh, copies of the Old Testament through during the time of the Babylonian exile, when God's people were scattered. Uh, it's possible that they had gathered some of them, and at the time it had these, these writings, these truths. And then they also had the 400 years of silence to continue to have these words and to look at them. And we know that these magi were looking for the Messiah because they had the word of God, and they, it was intrigued them. They wanted to know. And so they knew the word of God so that the day that this star appeared, the day the star appeared, they knew the sign because Scripture pointed to the sign, and they followed the sign and found the Savior. Now, there's many, many theories about how this star shows up. Was it an eclipse of Jupiter and Saturn, or was it a low-flying meteor? There are lots, lots of different theories, and that's not what my point is today that I don't really want to go into. But what I want us to see today is this star, whatever it may be, and I believe that it was miraculous. I believe that if God could lead his people in a cloud of, a pillar of fire by day and by night as, as they're walking through the wilderness, I believe that God can show up in the form of a simple small star that can guide and direct them. That's what we know. That's what we see, that the light from this star was distinct. We know that the light of this star was directing, and the light from the star was deliberate. That it was distinct in that when the Magi saw it, they knew that it was the star from God. They knew that it was also going to direct them to the king of the Jews, this Messiah. And we also know that it's deliberate because we can see the star moving. The, mar- the star led them directly over, or went to directly to the house where Jesus was. We see that these magi, they came with one purpose. Their one purpose was to worship the king. Their purpose was to come before this honored one and to prostrate themselves and prostrate themselves to give honor to the one that was honored. You see, these magi were seekers of 
God. And when he spoke, they heard and they responded. You see, true followers are able to hear God's voice over a lifestyle of paganism. They're able to hear God over a lifestyle of science. They're able to hear God's voice over a lifestyle of superstition. The reality is they, they probably did not come when they came to Jesus on this day and understand his deity. They probably did not fully understand that, but they knew that he was from God and that he was the Messiah and he was called and was going to be the king of the Jews that was going to set the people free and to save them from their sins. They didn't understand how, but they understood what he was going to do. And when they found Jesus, they rejoiced and they worshipped and in the process of their rejoicing in the process of their worshiping they gave him gifts they gave him gifts of gold frankincense and myrrh and what we can learn from that is that giving is not an addition to worship but is an element of worship when we come to worship God, a portion of that, or a part of worship of God, is giving something to Him. Not only receiving, for when we worship, we receive Him. We receive Him closeness with Him. We receive other things, but we also give. We give out of an overflowing, adoring heart. For right worship is always and must be the only basis for giving, for right learning, and for right serving. You see, learning or serving that, that is demanding and sacrificial, but comes and is done from the power of the flesh or the praise of men, is empty service. The Magi gave us a great pattern to follow in, in how we respond to the gift of Christ, which we've seen today is much better than Herod or that of the chief priests and the scribes. You see, they did three things, and these are three things that we ourselves can do today. If our desire is to know God, to find God, and to walk with God, there are three simple things that we can learn from the Magi that we can take part in our lives today. The first thing is, we saw that they searched. They searched the truth. They took whatever revelation from God they had and they studied it and they searched it and they tried to grow in knowledge of God. And so that's one thing we can do. Our lives should be marked by seeking the truth. Come to the word of God. Know the word of God. Study the word of God so that you'll know the mind and the heart of God. So search. Second thing is Follow. Follow the truth that is revealed from your study. This is the difference between the chief priests and the scribes. As they they grew in knowledge of God, but they didn't grow in understanding of walking with God. They didn't allow that knowledge to transform them. So, but we see the Magi did. Because the Magi, not only did they know the truth, they followed it. We saw that it changed their direction of their life. So they packed up their stuff and they moved. They followed the truth. So for us, search follow do what the word says as we're studying with with the word of god as we're digging deep into the word of god when we, especially when we we have life's troubles or we have life's hurts and we don't understand 
Like we don't understand why this happened or what's the purpose of this or how does this fit. When life hurts, our first position should be to run to the word of God and say, word of God, speak to me. Give me words of hope. Give me words of peace. Let me know that it's going to be okay. And then what the Lord reveals through his word, let us be people that do it. Do the word of God. And then finally, we worship. So we search, we follow, and we worship. Worship through praising God through what he's done, but also giving of ourselves. Are there parts of your life today that you're holding back from God? Are there there areas of your life where, like some of them you've given to God to allow him to be the Lord of your life, but are there some parts of your life that you're holding on to that you don't want God to have control over? Maybe it's your relationships. Maybe maybe you are so afraid that you're going to live a life of loneliness that you no longer give your spouse or or whoever God has for you to God, but you want to keep it to yourself. So you say, I'm going to hold on to this. I don't want God to someday tell me that I'm going to be single. So you hold on to that. Or maybe you, you, you have a family and you've never given your children unto the Lord. Maybe you're holding on to them so tightly that it, that it absolutely petrifies you if one day the Lord says, I'm calling your child to go overseas to an unreached people group where they could possibly more than likely be killed for their faith. Or you hold on to your kids so tightly that that absolutely petrifies you. Are you holding on to your job so tightly? Or are you finding your identity in who you are so much that if the Lord were to take that away, like you don't know who you were or who you are. I encourage you today, if you're holding back, then allow this Sunday after Christmas to be a day where you take whatever it is you're holding back and just lay it at his feet and say, because you've loved me, because you've sought me, because you've given me life, now I respond in giving back to you all of me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you for your truths. Father, we pray that you would also continue to allow your word that we heard today to take hold of our life, not to be like rubber where it comes in and bounces right off of us, but allow us to grab hold of it, to think deeply on it, to love it graciously, and allow it to do its work in us. Father, as we go, may we be people of the word and people that are fully surrendering our lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.